At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is The Edge with Jonathan Von Tobel and Matt Humans on VSEN, the Sports Betting Network. Good afternoon, good evening, welcome in. It is The Edge here on VSEN, the Sports Betting Network. we got a good show on tap coming up 30 minutes from now. We're going to get the New York perspective on the AL wildcard matchup. Johnny Strempsey is going to be with us, host of New York, New York podcast for The Ringer, as we discuss everything for the Bronx Bombers and the Red Sox and their matchup. With the AL wild card on the line. We get baseball postseason tonight. Oh, it's exciting. Oh, it's it is. Best. It is exciting. But this is the right Yankees, Red Sox, the best rivalry in all of sports. Arguably. Best rivalry in all of sports. <laughs> For some. Uh, I would argue, <laughs> I would argue that one of the better rivalries in sports, I don't know if it's the best, but it's a solid one, is Raiders Chargers. I don't know. That was a segue. You're supposed to be like, yeah, man. <laughs> Raiders. I, I'm still trying to figure out how we had a lightning delay and a game played indoors. Did you, huh? did you see Steve Young's uh, analysis on the weather yesterday? No. Lightning doesn't go sideways. How can we have a lightning delay in here? <laughs> Which I agree with the point of how do you have a lightning delay in a mostly covered dome, uh, but not that lightning doesn't go sideways because it indeed does. Yeah. Uh, but the final score there between those two, uh, 28 to 14, the Los Angeles Chargers get a big win last night. So this is where we're going to begin because it was kind of an odd game. They jump out to a 21 to nothing lead. Uh, the Raiders just can't stop shooting themselves in the foot. Whether it's failing to get a first down until late into the second quarter, you finally start to get something going. Darren Waller gets called for just an atrocious taunting call at one point that mm-hmm. sends the back, and they still have to punt. Well, when you say atrocious, you mean it was uh, it was just a bad call by the ref? No, I, I mean like you just he should have done that. It was a dumb move by Darren Waller. Yeah, okay. like I said, like I said, no, 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 no. Like I said yesterday, my son was watching with me, and I said, Diego, stop watching. You That's a terrible. You can't do that. You don't want to mimic a, a guy throwing the ball to the ground. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a terrible I, you know move. What? It was kind of stupid by Darren Waller to do it, but the, the call is ridiculous. Can we just of play? Huh? Of course it is. Yeah. Well, it also violates the spirit of what they're actually trying to do. It's not directed toward anybody. But right. regardless, you know that was a blip on the radar in comparison for the entire game for the Las Vegas Raiders, which was twofold, right? It actually it went a little bit of the opposite that I expected, which was thought the defense was going to get exposed, but the offense was going to continue to perform at a right. relatively decent level. And the defense actually did everything it could for the first mm-hmm. half for a while. Little issues here and there in terms of coverage and allowing big plays. Sure. There's a wheel route that they gave up that was absolutely wide open, and they started to let up a little bit late in the game. But other than that, I think the takeaway here is the offensive line, as we kind of talked about yesterday for Las Vegas, still has its issues. Mm-hmm. And Alex Leatherwood was not good yesterday. Penalties and missed blocks all across the board. And for a team that loves to generate their offense through their running game against one of the worst run defenses in the National Football League, it managed 48 yards on 18 carries yesterday for the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, 2.7 yards per carry. And the Raiders did not even utilize Kenyon Drake and Peyton Barber. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think the game plan was very good on John Gruden's part. Now, he didn't have many plays to work with in the first half last night. but It's just three and out after three yeah. and out. Yep. You, you, put, uh, you put a lot of stress on your defense when you're punting every time and going three and out. I think the Raiders' defense actually held up really well uh, for the most part. But the offense, like you said, was what let the Raiders down last night. And you look at the numbers for Derek Carr in the end. They look okay. 21 for 34 
196 yards, two TDs, and one pick, but he was sacked four times, mm-hmm. and he just uh, never really found a rhythm except for that one stretch in the third quarter and er, into the early fourth. He uh, he really had no rhythm last night, and um, the Chargers were the right side the whole way. The Chargers and the under were the right bets last night. Under 52, it got to uh, 42 points, but... You never felt like this was going to threaten to go over the total last night. Yeah, I mean, I think there, like you said, there was that stretch in the third where they come out, they're they're playing extremely strong, and they score. You're right, they rattle off the 14 straight points, and it's 21 14, and then they get the possession where they go down and they're on the Chargers 34 yard line, yeah. and on a fourth and nine, they decide to kick the field goal. Well, I thought yeah. third third down was where the game flipped. Yep, you you don't pick up the first down there. You got to kick the long field goal. Uh, first of all, a field goal is not going to do you much good. It's, you're cutting the deficit to 11. You've got to get a touchdown right there. You've got to cut us to one-score right, game. To a one-score been, game. Was it, 21, I think it, was it was 21-14 14 at yeah. that point, so it would have been 21-17. Still, I thought at that point, if the Raiders don't pick up the first down, they've got to try a long field goal. This is going to be a bad deal for the Raiders, and it was. And uh, they, they missed the field goal, and that was pretty much the end of the game. The, the momentum flipped at that point. They had all the momentum, and they gave it back to the Chargers. It was a faux 10-point swing, because you missed the yeah. you missed the field goal, and then you give up a 10-play 55-yard drive to allow a touchdown. Right. And, and that's where the Chargers put it away. I, and I'll say this, because we're talking a lot about the, the Raiders side of things, and we're going to have more on this tomorrow, because I, I wrote a little bit about the Chargers, mostly about their opponent, the Browns, in Pointsford Weekly this week. Uh, but... I will say, as we move forward here for the Chargers humans, the one thing that is still bothering me with them, their offensive line still was not good yesterday, right? It gets masked by the fact that they were actually performing at a relatively high level. But if you look in terms of the pass blocking for the starting offensive line, a couple of names stick out. Matt Filer, again, was awful, given five pressures on 41 pass blocking snaps. You look at Storm Norton, who could be off of the field, by the way, because Bulaga is eligible to come off of IR this coming week, so maybe he's going to be healthy. A 22.9 pass blocking grade for Norton, a 29.1 for Filer, and, um, yeah, this offensive line's got some weak points, and that's going to be part of the issue for them mm-hmm. going forward. Well, uh, how many teams have a really strong offensive line? Can, yep. we, can we count them on one hand? I think so, right? Even a team like the Colts, who were supposed to have a good one, just lost Quentin Nelson, and they're beat to hell along the offensive line. Seems like line. every team we talk about, we go, oh, they got some offensive line issues. Yep. And the Chargers do, and the Raiders do. Both teams did uh, last night. But when you have a great quarterback like Justin Herbert, he can help, um, he can help cover up some of those issues. And uh, I thought Herbert was a difference last night because – uh, he was really good in the first half of that game. So this leads us to what next week will look like for both of these teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I mentioned, I wrote a little bit about the Cleveland Browns uh, for Points Spread Weekly. That is the opponent for the Los Angeles Chargers this coming weekend. And you and I were on opening lines. We were talking about, hey, you know what? If you're like the, if you looking at this number, and if you like the Chargers on Monday, the time to bet it on Sunday yeah. is going to be then because you can get picked. You could have gotten plus one with the Los Angeles Chargers. Sure enough, by the time we get to kickoff, I'm sure they're going to be like a one, one-and-a-half-point favorite. We get the results of last night, and about 9, 10 o'clock, we saw the real move here. Chargers now about one-and-a-half-point favorite, total of 47 over the Cleveland Browns. I don't think it's surprising to see that the Chargers are now uh, the favorite. No, you and should. I talked about this, like you said, on the opening line show Sunday night. Why are the Chargers not the favorites in this game? At that point, it was Browns minus one in most spots, yep. and yet you had a couple pick uh, out there. And uh, right now, it's basically one and a half Chargers across the board, which I thought should have been the opening line from the outset. Yeah, I'm really fascinated to see what this defense is going to be. Like this defensive line and this front seven for Cleveland against the offensive line and what the Los Angeles Chargers bring I to the still, table. You know, I still was not blown away by what the Browns did against the Vikings. Oh, boy. Huh? We got some good numbers for you tomorrow. Well, for three quarters, the defense is really good. And, yeah. and the fact that they held the Vikings down, I have to give the Browns a lot of credit for that. I think Cleveland's uh, defense showed up 
uh, probably better than expected after that first drive when the Vikings take a 7 nothing lead. They get nothing the rest yeah. of the way. Uh, but I, I still I look at Baker Mayfield, and you look at the numbers. He is not playing like an elite quarterback right now. He is not. The big point of contention. Well, it'll be a big part to do the numbers tomorrow, but I got some. There's some really good underlying stuff for the Cleveland Browns that I think are pretty fascinating mm-hmm. as you look at this matchup with the Los Angeles Chargers. And as for the Las Vegas Raiders, well, they are back at home after this matchup. They're five and a half point favorites against the Chicago Bears. Now, we get news on this game today. David Montgomery not going to be in Las Vegas, done for four to five weeks with a knee injury. So that's a pretty big blow for the Chicago Bears. Now they have a new, it sounds like they have a new play caller there. It's not going to be Matt Nagy anymore. And <laughs> Justin Fields was really happy with the quote, calm voice in his ear throughout the Lions game. This is a pretty interesting spot. Five and a half is a dead number. Clearly, though, the Raiders are garnering respect with this number that they're laying at home against Chicago, and the power rating's pretty down on, on Chicago as well. But this is a really interesting matchup for the Las Vegas Raiders in terms of, again, getting another bad offensive line mm-hmm. for this front seven to take advantage of and for their offense to face up with a secondary that has been prone to give up big plays this year. Well, first of all, David Montgomery absence is going to be a big deal for the Bears. He had uh, 106 yards rushing on 23 carries. He was a huge part of that offense in the game against the Lions. You take away a guy who carried the ball. Um, basically, he accounted for almost half of the Bears' offensive plays. <laughs> and now you're going to take that guy off the field. Uh, I think it's going to be a big problem for the Bears' offense. I did not hear what Fields said about the, the calm voice in his ear. Was he was he referring to uh, – Basically implying that he was happy not to hear from Matt Nagy during the game or what? <laughs> I think that's that's what I took away from it. That headline, Justin Fields appreciates the calm voice of offensive coordinator Bill Lazor calling plays. Okay. Well, I, I'll say this. Bill Lazor probably should have been calling plays the whole time. Matt Nagy is a poor play caller, and we've talked about this for two years. So I think that's a positive development for the Bears that he's going to be calling plays. Actually, what? the rest of the quote, you're right. Yeah. Quote, uh, for Coach Nagy, it's hard for him to be calm if he has to focus on the defense, focus on special teams. Laser's voice is calm. He's up there at the box, seeing the field well, and he did a great job calling plays today. Okay, so. <laughs> I don't want Mad Nagy in my ear. That's what he's saying. Right. Yeah. It's no, like, it's like the other day. That's a positive day. thing, but it's not going to override the David Montgomery absence here. So I think the Raiders actually should be in a really good bounce-back spot and should win this game by seven-plus or double digits uh, with, with no David Montgomery for the Bears. Seriously, when you look at it, JVT, mm-hmm. we're talking about offensive line issues, and Justin Fields was only sacked uh, one time by the Lions, but he was sacked nine times the previous week. This is a guy the Raiders' defensive front ought to be able to get after. Yeah. Well, and that's why I'm fascinated by this, too, because his mobility, the ability to escape from pressure, we saw, like, Lamar Jackson was pressured on 20 of his true pass sets, but he was able to get out of those, right? right? And the mobility of fields and what that's But he also to, turned saw, the ball over. He did. Yeah. And so that's why I, it's a really interesting dynamic about what this offense is going to look like going forward. So we do have a lot of news uh, to get to in the National Football League as well. Uh, I wanted to touch on Urban Meyer's, quote, crisis situation in Jacksonville. <laughs> as that continues to unravel, it seems, at the locker room, he's lost it there. But really focusing on the good news here, which is it sounds like Jimmy Garoppolo and Trent Williams have a chance to play on Sunday. So that's a pretty big deal for the San Francisco 49ers who are five and a half point underdogs on the road against Arizona. Uh, yeah, I think Garoppolo means about a point, a point and a half to the number. Is, yes. that, is that the way you read it? I yes. think with uh, Jimmy G starting and healthy, this number before with Trey Lance is five and a half. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, again, we talked about this on opening lines. A week of preparation for Trey Lance makes all the difference in the world. A game plan, right? Filtered to his strengths, all of those things. But mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo at this point, he runs the offense a little bit better. They can do a little bit more with him. He's not as mobile as Lance, but I, I think you get a little more of a, a different level of this offense with Jimmy Garoppolo in control. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I, I would like to see Lance play just 
just for uh, the hell of it, right? Let's yeah. see what the kids got. Uh, and against an Arizona defense, it's not that strong. And uh, you know, you, we talked about this yesterday. Yet right now, if there are five uh, elite teams in the NFC. None of those teams have great defenses. Nope. And one the Cardinals of the worst, are one of them. One of the worst run defenses in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals, and that's a damn good running team you're taking on this weekend. All right, we have plenty left to get to on the other side. Bet it now, bet it later. It's college football and more on the wild card race as well. This is The Edge on VSN, the sports betting network. Puck is about to drop on the NHL season, and our hockey betting experts are ready for all the action. Beeston Hockey Betting Guide now available with strategies and best bets for the season ahead. Get in-depth analysis from our hockey experts, including Andy McNeil, with predictions for teams and players, win totals, daily betting tips, as well as season-long trends to watch. The guide is a must-have with key insights and data for both avid hockey bettors and those new to the sport. Give yourself an edge this season and get your digital copy now for only $9.99 at vcin.com slash subscribe. A lot of stuff coming out. I think uh, Bill 80, our COO, put out an email the other day. How about this? The hockey guide's out next Tuesday. NBA guide will be out. And then coming up in three weeks, the college basketball guide will be out. Oh, man, that's going to be a lot of work. Greg Hoops Peterson's going to be involved in that. His Picasso. (laughs) By the way, did you get all that copy in by the deadline? I did. I did. Ben Fox did not try to hunt me down and or fight me. I feel good about my chances in a fight with Ben Fox, but you never know. Those little guys... They're tricky. He's got a puncher's chance. He does. (laughs) Uh, With that, all right, let's talk a little bit about some college football. We have a lot to get to, man. Only an hour, not enough. So let's talk a little about bet now, bet later. Matt Santos had uh, four of these key games on the board. We'll talk about a little bit more if we got time to. But these are some fascinating contests, and the question would be where you expect the line to go and how you should attack it as it sits at this point right now, Matt Eumann. So let's start. Oklahoma and Texas. Because I know that you are going to be involved in this contest between yep. the two Big 12 rivals, soon to be SEC rivals. We got three and a half up on the board now with a total of 63 and a half. So do you bet this now if you like Texas yes. or do you wait? No, you bet it now. And in fact, I took the three and a half. I thought maybe there was a chance four would show up. It's, it looks like it's going to move the other direction, uh, two, three. So if, uh, if you like the underdog in this game, take three and a half with Texas. And these typically have been uh, close games, mm-hmm. and I think that Steve Sarkissian is going to, uh, I think he's going to be hard for Lincoln Riley to handle in this spot. Uh, the, the Sooners, you and I talked about this Sunday night, they've kind of been begging to be beat. It, it looks that way. They've, they've skated by, barely got by Tulane, actually mm-hmm. should have lost that game. I, I went played. back and watched the replay, and Tulane got screwed by the officials and had a great shot to win that game. Uh, so you get barely get by Tulane. You barely get by Nebraska at home. West Virginia, you know, last week the K-State game, maybe not quite as close as the score indicates at 37-31 because of a late kick return. But still, uh, the Sooners have been barely skating by. And two, two games ago, Spencer Rattler was booed by the home fans. Now, he came back and he was efficient uh, against K-State. He was 22 for 25, 243 yards with two touchdowns. He did throw one pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Sooners are 0-4. In those games I just talked about, 0-4 against the spread against Tulane, Nebraska, West Virginia, and K-State. Now, Lincoln Riley is 3-1 and in this rivalry, uh, but the wins are tight ones by 5, 7, and 8 points. Texas is actually 4-1 and straight up at ATS. The only bad game the Longhorns played was the one at Arkansas where yeah, they got right. blown yep. out yep. and allowed 333 rushing yards. Sooners are not going to run the ball like that on Texas here. And by the way, B. John Robinson 
one of the most talented running backs in the nation on the Texas side here. Uh, he was so good last week, 216 yards on the ground, that the quarterback didn't have to do much, Casey Thompson. I think uh, I think Texas is going to be a handful for Oklahoma here. I, I, I like the Longhorns to win the game straight up. I took three and a half, um, and if you like Texas, I would say bet it now because it does – Look like the Lions moving to three at a lot of spots. Yeah, Casey Thompson has been. I think he's been okay, like he's above average. Okay. He, he's, yeah, the he's, turnovers are the issue, right? Interceptions in three consecutive right, games, right. and in certain spots, like against a Texas Tech, for example, when you're throwing five touchdowns, one interception doesn't really register. A game like this, you got to take care of the football when it's such a tight margin. Yeah. And on the flip side, you know, I think a lot of people would look at this humans and go, okay, well, if I'm looking at it from the Oklahoma perspective, because you mentioned it, one cover this year, the Western Carolina Catamounts. That doesn't count. No, it doesn't. Right? <laughs> you had seventy-six nothing win as a fifty-two and a half point right. favorite. But you're a 31 and a half point favorite against Tulane, 22 and a half against Nebraska, 17 and a half against West Virginia, 12 and a half against Kansas State. You failed to cover all those, as you mentioned. And I think people look at it and go, all right, well, this has been a highly power rated team, only a three and a half. Here's the thing your margin for error is not the same as in those games. Yeah. This is a team that is similar to you from a power rating perspective. This is a neutral field. You don't have room for error to, right, have poor drives, turn the ball over right. if you're Spencer Rattler, things like that. So, and you're sitting on that key number three and a half, not as key in college, but still relatively key at three. Right. And, uh, you know, actually when you have a high total like this too, I think the points don't mean as much, yeah. right? Uh, when you got a game you think it's going to get into the 60s. I, I think uh, I think my power ratings on these teams are accurate. I've got Oklahoma one point better than Texas. And I actually like Texas better, but that's how my numbers come out. So I took the three and a half with the Longhorns. Uh, I almost bet Texas last week. I held off in the TCU game. That was a wild yep. game. Um and that, that was a score to settle for uh, for Texas because Gary Patterson had beat them down uh, recently. But uh, this is a big one, and I think uh, Steve Sarkissian is going to pull it. We saw Sunday night the Patriots pull out some trick plays and uh, yeah. uh, throw some wrinkles at the uh, Buccaneers. I, I think Texas is probably going to do the same sort of thing here in the Oklahoma game. But, again, um, Sarkissian, I think a big upgrade from the previous Tom Herman staff here, and I'm going to go with the Longhorns. Uh, to win this game, but take three and a half. All right, let's go to an SEC matchup then, Georgia at Auburn. So we saw actually Circa, and we had Dan Saley on on Sunday night when we talked about this game, mm-hmm. and he's on Georgia. But this actually opened 16, made its way to as low as 13 and a half with those Circa openers on Sunday, yeah. eventually settled in at 14, 14 and a half, depending on where you shop for your numbers. 14 and a half are the ones that dominate the board right now. And I, look... I was on the wrong side with that Arkansas game over the weekend. Yeah, you but and every, I both. A yeah, lot of other people I know. Too. Right, yeah. but every time I watch that Georgia team, the takeaway for me is how good they are in the lines of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively. And when you read quotes from Brian Harson about, hey, we're going to establish a run, we want to see if we can get this run game going all against Georgia, who's giving up 2.8 yards per carry, who's right. been absolutely dominant up front. I just wonder how this offensive game plan works with Bo Nix and this offense coming off a performance like they did against LSU, but they need 14 points in the fourth quarter against LSU to pull that game off. This is Georgia now with the domination up front for both lines. I just I find myself struggling to make a case for Auburn to stay within 14 points. You know, what, yeah. What bothers me about this matchup? Yeah. What bothers me about Georgia? You know where I'm going. I don't like the quarterback play. Right. For Whether it's Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels, yeah, it doesn't matter. If Stetson Bennett didn't have to do anything last week, he passed for what 77 yards. Yeah, had one nice pass uh, in the yeah. second quarter. That was about it. Yep. But even when uh, JT Daniels is in there, I, I think that's the weakness. And it, it's it's tough when you're talking about a team that's this good, and this especially this good defensively, and you say, what's the weakness? Well, the quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal when the quarterback is the weakness of your team. And that's why I'm not going to lay these points with uh, Georgia. Because you're, you're effectively asking them to either pitch a shutout or hold the opposing team to like 310 exactly. points, something like that, right? You're thinking you're going to hold Auburn to 3, 7, 10 points. Uh, I, I, maybe the Georgia defense gets a score. 
Uh, but I can't lay more than two touchdowns with an offense where I don't respect the quarterback play. Yep. Now, I mean, even look at the Arkansas game, right? Because uh, it was a 37 to nothing margin. Part of that 37 points that you got was a blocked punt for a yeah. touchdown in the end zone. Right? Oh, they just ran. Yep. The Bulldogs just ran the ball right over Arkansas, which is a little bit surprising. But the, uh, I still think if, if you need a quarterback to make a play, and that's going to happen mm-hmm. down the road, whether it's against Alabama or somebody else, does Georgia have that guy who can make the play? No, I don't think it so. It doesn't look like it. What do you mean to Bo Nix this year really quick? 979 through the air, six touchdowns, seven interceptions. Disappointed, disappointed in Bo Nix. You know, coming out of high school, I thought this guy was going to be a superstar, and he's not really developing it at the rate I thought. But he did play a pretty good game last week against LSU. Yeah, <laughs> It was the full Bo Nix experience yep. against LSU. Ridiculous plays and mind-numbingly uh, silly mistakes. <laughs> it was great. All right, Penn State at Iowa. I'm really excited for this game. So right now, if you're looking at the board, uh, I'm looking at Iowa on my screen. Uh, maybe it's not updated three. Is that what I got right now? Actually, down to two, so my screen is not updated. So what do we make of this? Iowa, that's the thing that I have been harping on over the last couple of days. If you look at expected points added per play offensively, one of the worst offenses in the country, you're getting by with forcing turnovers, best turnover differential in the country, best turnover differential per game in the country. I just don't know if you're going to get those turnovers against a team like Penn State, and this is a really good defense as well in the Nittany Lions. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, yeah, it's, you can't predict turnovers, but Iowa, this is the style of football Iowa yep. plays. Tight defense, they force turnovers, and uh, they win. They win with special teams and defense. And actually, Spencer Petrus is making a couple plays uh, at the quarterback position. So I think these teams really mirror each other. When I've watched Penn State and Iowa, to me, it looks like about the same team, except for Penn State might be a little bit better offensively. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I would take three here if uh, you can get Penn State. To me, this is all about the number. Yep. I think you can break down this matchup twenty different ways, and you're gonna. And you could do the math, and it's always going to come out to where these teams are almost dead even on paper. If I can get Penn State plus three, uh, that's the magic number for me. That's what I would take. Yeah, we but saw that. It's got to be three. I, I, yep. I'm not taking two or two and a half. I've got to have the field goal. You think, I would think that you think the public comes in on laying two with the, I, I the really home don't team know. here? I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those numbers that's kind of tough to predict. It's floating right. in that gray area, and you're just waiting. Hey, is it going to hit three? Is it going to hit three? And uh, did you say you saw a three out there today? No, no. I, okay. I must have had my screen up. Because I didn't lap, see one. Yet. An old yeah. tab or something okay. like that. Um, all right. So let's go to Pac-12 really quickly. Last minute here, yeah. Utah Southern Cal. This is on three with a total of 52. And you do, of course, we know of Cameron, uh, Cameron Rise in control of this offense. Now week off, too, to get a little bit more comfortable in the system as well. And we know that Jackson uh, Dart still probably not going to be available for USC. Yeah, this is a, a weird situation here. I wrote this game up for uh, points per weekly, and I had a hard time even taking a stand, so yeah. I didn't. I, I don't know what side to take. Utah has been a really, really disappointing team here early in the season. I want to say one of the most disappointing teams in the nation. Yes. I thought Kyle Whittingham would do a much better job. Uh, Utah has not been as strong in the offensive or defensive lines like I thought. Charlie Brewer was a bust. The Baylor transfer at quarterback. He gets benched. He quits the team. I think it is a positive, though, that Cameron Rising takes over a quarterback, kind of gives this team a new energy. It's kind of like a, a fresh start. And by the way, Utah has not lost a Pac-12 game yet, so that's that's one thing that could be a positive, right? Yes, it is. Lost two games, but no, no conference games yet. Big positive, we get baseball playoffs tonight. Let's find out what's going to go down between the Red Sox and the Yankees. John Yastrzemski joins us next This is The Edge on VSIN, the sports betting network. The VSIN NBA betting guide is going to be out next week. JVT trivia time. Which former NBA coach is known as the Zen Master? Oh, Phil Jackson. You got it. Good friend of the Musburger family, by the right. way, Phil Jackson. This segment of The Edge is presented by Zen. 
Nicotine pouches. Zen is working to create a world where you can enjoy life on your own terms. Zen nicotine pouches are a smoke-free, spit-free, hassle-free tobacco alternative that can be enjoyed on the go, anywhere, and anytime, so you never miss a minute of the game or the tailgate party. Available in 10 varieties, including spearmint, coffee, and citrus. Zen can be found at convenience stores nationwide, so you can find your Zen wherever you are. Zen's nicotine pouches are clean and discreet with no lingering smell. Plus, it's easy to use indoors and out, making it the perfect complement to your everyday. Also, Zen comes in two strengths, so you have no, you have control over your nicotine satisfaction. Zen contains nicotine and is only for adult nicotine consumers 21 or older. Learn more. Find your local retailer at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com. Warning, this product contains nicotine, and nicotine is an addictive chemical. You could, make, you, could, uh, you could make the argument that the New York Yankees found their zen late in the season, especially Giancarlo Stanton. Well, they found it in the ninth inning on the last day of the regular <laughs> yeah. season on an infield single to get into the playoffs. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> the AOL Wild Card of more. John Yastrzemski is with us, host of New York, New York on the Ringer, the pod there. Check that out, at John underscore Yastrzemski. He's at Fenway Park right now. Yep, up on yeah. Twitter. So, John, what's going on, man? Is there is there magic in the air right now? Well, I don't think there's any doubt, guys. And listen, I've been doing this now for like the last 10, 11 years. I don't think I've ever been more geeked out than to just go on the MLB Network live from Fenway Park on the field, get ready for a wild card game with the Yankees and the Red Sox and talking betting in the process. So, yeah, right now I'm situated behind home plate. I'm chilling, and I'm very excited for this game. Super fired up. All right, how much faith do you have in Garrett Cole? Because he has not pitched well necessarily against the Red Sox or at Fenway this season. Do you think without J.D. Martinez, he catches a little bit of of a break today? And are you confident that Cole's going to be good against this Red Sox lineup? I think Cole has a big game in him. I love the fact that he's going to get a little bit of extra rest. I think it's obviously an advantage that J.D. Martinez is not going to be in the Boston lineup. And the other element that I like here from a Yankee standpoint, and if you're thinking about the under in this game, is that Aaron Boone has his bullpen ready to be unleashed. And Early in the year, the Yankee bullpen was an absolute nightmare. When they were blowing games left and right, they had a nightmarish weekend at Fenway. But getting Wandy Peralta, getting Clay Holmes, and now getting Loisega back and putting Luis Severino in that bullpen, if you're Garrett Cole, you don't have to think about going eight or nine innings in this game. You can empty the tank 105, 110 pitches, but I do think we're going to get a very good effort out of the Yankee starting pitcher. I do. What do you think has gone wrong? Harold Reynolds uh, yesterday on MLB Network had a really great breakdown, John, where teams like Toronto uh, have just, in Boston as well, have been just jumping on that fastball. Anything off speed, it's like, no, we're fine. We're just going to attack whenever you go 97. Uh, is that just as simple as just getting aggressive whenever he throws fast, or is there something else going on with him, you think? Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. Now, a couple of things here are in play, guys. Remember, Cole had that hamstring injury mm-hmm right after he had a 15-strikeout performance, I believe, against the Angels. He got taken out of that game against the Blue Jays. Then his next start back, he was terrible against the Cleveland Indians. He got absolutely shellacked. He pitched a pretty darn good game against the Red Sox. I know he ended up giving up a three-run bomb to Rafi Devers, but the Yankees had a 7 nothing lead. You're going to approach the game a lot differently when you're in that sort of situation. Now, the last start against Toronto was awful, but let's be honest, guys. Toronto has been mashing guys who throw fastballs basically all year. So if I'm Garrett Cole tonight, I'm aggressive with certain guys, but there's one guy in the lineup I'm not letting beat me, and that's Devers. Devers is hands down Mm -hmm. the best and most dangerous hitter in Boston's lineup, and he's owned Garrett Cole. He's hit a couple of home runs against Cole already this year. 
There is no way in the world Rafi Devers should be getting anything to hit with anybody on base. No way. I agree with you there. Cole faced the Red Sox four times this season, two and two, allowed 13 runs in 22 innings, one and two at Fenway with an ERA over six and allowed 15 earned runs in his last 17-plus innings to finish the season. Let's look at the Red Sox lineup uh, for today. Kike Hernandez is going to lead off. Kyle Schwerber, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Alex Verdugo, Hunter Renfro, Christian Arroyo, Bobby Dalbeck, and Kevin Plavwecki. You should know that's a projected a lineup. That's not the official lineup. That's, for, that's for the Boston. projected yep. lineup. Yeah, it's got no J.D. Martinez uh, today, and that's that's break. So we talked so much, uh, John, about Garrett Cole. What about the flip side? Uh, can the Yankees hit? Uh, can can the Yankees hit tonight against uh, Nathan Eovaldi? I think that's the million dollar question in this game, Maddie. Because historically speaking, the Yankees have been owned by Nate Eovaldi, including the 2018 postseason. Now, the last time Evaldi faced the Yankees, he got tattooed. That was two weeks ago at Fenway Park. That's what I'm curious to see. Will the Yankees be able to build upon a success they had against Evaldi? Have they solved the riddle finally that has been the former Yankee and now the Yankee killer? Here's the question to me. The Yankees not having DJ LeMayu in this lineup, does that kind of throw things off kilter a little bit? I know it's been a down year for LeMayu, but LeMayu has great numbers against Evaldi. So not having him in the lineup hurts, but remember, it's kind of even when you consider J.D. Martinez and what he means for Boston. So, yeah, I think the Yankee key to the game is score runs. If the Yankees score more than five runs in this game, guys, I really love their chances. Love their chances. All right, so right now the Yankees about minus 130, 135 favorites here, total of eight. The first five total is four. How would you, how would you advise betting this game tonight, John? Well, guys, i got to be honest. I'm thrilled I bet this game last night as opposed to right here and right now because you can't find Red Sox money. And, you know, that's the thing. (laughs) I hate being – guys, I hate betting with the public. It bothers me to no end. I feel better about the Yankees, though, with the way this line is continuing to climb, continuing to climb, continuing to climb because they're begging for money to come in on the Boston Red Sox. They are begging for money to come in. So I feel better about my Yankees 115 right now. Um, I love the under in this game, though. I'm all over that. I got the under at eight. So I'm on the Yankees, and I'm on the under here. And I'm also looking into some props for my fellow Southpaws, meaning Anthony Rizzo and Brett Gardner. Those are two guys I'm looking into at total bases. I'm also looking into them to get a hit. It's a wild card game, guys, so I'm getting a little bit more frisky than usual, you know? I can tell you're hyped up for this yeah. game. And uh, JVT scoffs every time, John, when I say Yankees-Red Sox, the greatest rivalry in sports. There's nothing that comes close, right? Well, you know, it's the amazing thing. This <laughs> rivalry in many ways has lost its luster because the Red Sox have won and they've won a bunch. So now that you have this dynamic in a one-game playoff, it brings back memories of Bucky Dan. I know you're going to see the Aaron Boone clip. You're going to see Big Poppy. Like, this, this is the way it's supposed to be. I mean, these teams are basically dead even all year. They both had roller coaster seasons. Now it's one game. One will be playing the Tampa Bay Rays and will be an underdog in that series. The other is going to have a very, very long winter, my friend. Yep. John, I'm curious. So out of these two teams, you know, we, you can go in both directions here. Of the one that moves on, uh, who's got the, uh, the most sticking power long-term in terms of making a run to the World Series? Oh, I think it's the Yankees, and I'm not even saying that from a New York perspective. I, I think the Yankee bullpen is a lot better than the Red Sox bullpen. Uh, obviously, you have Garrett Cole, and then you got those two monsters in the middle of the order that have basically carried the team all year. Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton have had incredible, incredible seasons. Those are guys that could go and carry a lineup, and I think the Yankee lineup, when it's right, is deeper 
understand the Red Sox lineup. But again, it's a question of the feast or famine nature of this team. Because when they are rolling, they're as good and they can beat anybody. When they're bad, they can lose to anybody. Now, I wouldn't pick either against Tampa for what it's worth. <laughs> I think the Tampa Bay Rays are going to the World Series. Again, I think Tampa will beat the winner of this game tonight. Um, but the Yankees, to me, are the more dangerous team. Let's take a look at the Yankees' projected lineup for tonight. And uh, D.J. LeMahieu not in there. And uh, like John said, uh, I think that makes a big difference for the Yankees. They're a much better lineup with LeMahieu in there. Glaber Torres, uh, followed by Anthony Rizzo, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Gallo, Gio Urshela, Brett Gardner, Odor, and Kyle Higashioka. There you go. I always have. I get tongue tied <laughs> on that one. Anyway, um, John, uh, if you who's who's the, who are the one or two key guys tonight in the lineup for the Yankees? Because Stanton has been a monster here down the stretch, but he, you can't expect him to carry the offense all the time. Uh, I'm going to give you two. Okay. Anthony Rizzo is one because he's in the leadoff spot tonight. I, I think Rizzo is going to be a guy they look to get on base for the big boppers that you have in this lineup. The other guy that I'm going to look at is the other trade deadline acquisition, Joey Gallo. Remember, the Yankees brought in Joey Gallo to hit against a guy like Nathan Ovaldi. Joey Gallo has done nothing for the Yankees this year. He's hit under 200. He's been incredibly streaky. Can Joey Gallo maybe have a moment here and turn around a fastball and give me a little launch angle and change the entire feel and the direction of the game? So those are two guys I'm thinking about, Gallo and Rizzo, the two guys the Yankees brought in. Can they get the Yankees to Thursday? John Yastrzemski, host of New York, New York on The Ringer. John underscore Yastrzemski up on social media as well. John, it's good to talk to you, man. Thanks very much. Enjoy the game tonight, too, dude. Guys, it's my pleasure. Happy to do it anytime, all right? Yeah, you got all it. All right. Fired up from Fenway Park. How can you not be? It's the greatest rivalry in sports. Now you're on board. Totally. <laughs> if the I love, countless... I love these one-game playoffs. So the wild card, winner go home, and you're talking about two teams like this. It's going to be... Uh, Oh, I mean, it's going to be electric tonight at Fenway Park, especially uh, especially uh, a sport in baseball. It's so random, right? A one game sample yeah. size. Oh, yeah. It's out, oh, man. Uh, baseball playoffs always seem to deliver. Play 162, man. and then one game, winner go. Yep, absolutely fantastic. All right, on the other side, best bets. Uh, what we have added for the coming week of action. We'll also take a look at the uh, the news in the National Football League. We get to the Titans, the Jags matchup, and much more as we wrap up the edge. VSN, the Sports Betting Network. Oh, hello there. I'm sorry I was distracted because I was just checking the current betting splits data for this MLB wildcard game coming up. How about this? The New York Yankees, 58% of the bets on the run line for the New York Yankees, if you're looking at that. How about just the money line? You've been 72% of the handle, 61% of the tickets on the New York Yankees. You can get all this and more over on vcin.com. New feature gives you insights of where the money and bets are moving for every game, every sport. It's available for money line, over, under, and against the spread bets. Check it out today, vcin.com. How about you on Rams, Seahawks? I got one for you there, too. 66% of the tickets on the Rams. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of interest in the Rams, even off that uh, bad loss to the Cardinals on Sunday. By low. Yeah. Seahawks, frauds, telling you that. I don't know if I'm going to go in that direction again. I did for Points Spread Weekly. All right, best bets. Let's do it. You and I have a common play for the National Football League. Hard to pass up on it. The market has moved in this direction. So uh, you got in late last night, early this morning. You got the best of it. We will begin with... 
the Kansas City Chiefs minus one and a half over the Buffalo Bills. Also the topic of one of my you know, Point Spread Weekly articles this week is the Buffalo Bills and that resume that they have built up to this point and what it means in this matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, but ultimately, just put it very simple before we don't give it away for tomorrow, this should be at least a field goal between these. And that's at the very least. I think the market was a little too gung-ho easily moving this through three earlier this week. Give me the Chiefs minus two and a half. I think you had a lot of early betters just buying the Bills a plus three, and that's yep. what forced the line moved down to two and a half. I thought the price is cheap on the Chiefs at two and a half, so I played this as well. This is one of my best bets. How often are you going to get the Chiefs at home as less than a field goal favorite? Yep. And if you look at the AFC championship game between these teams, Patrick Mahomes lit up the Buffalo defense. 38-24, uh, Chiefs on a runaway. How much has changed since that game, I don't think much has changed. The Chiefs are better on the offensive line. Their defense is a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Bills have blown out a couple of bad teams. Actually, this is a big step up in class from what the Bills have faced the last three weeks. And I don't think Josh Allen can trade shots with Patrick Mahomes. And that's basically what this game's going to come down to, I believe. So, yeah. Uh, you still got Circa, Superbook, have two and a half at minus 120. Look at the two and a half with the Chiefs. I think that's a cheap price. I'm also going back to Broncos. The Steelers against the Broncos. And uh, I think the Steelers, this is another buy-low spot here at minus one. And it doesn't really matter to me who's, who's quarterback for the Broncos. You, you've either got Teddy B coming off a concussion or you got Drew Locke. And if it's Locke, I'm very confident the Steelers are going to beat him. He's not going to be able to handle that Pittsburgh defense. Uh, I think this line should be three. Uh, I'll lay the one. I understand why it's not three because nobody has respect for the Pittsburgh offense right, right now. And you'll give that right. uh, the Broncos defense will get action at three. Right. The whole way. And that's why I believe that the Steelers are in a buy low spot here because the defense should be able to win this game for Pittsburgh. And I think Big Ben's going to do enough. You're not going to find many teams in the NFL more desperate than Pittsburgh this week. It's it's all on the line here. Big Ben knows he's going to get benched if he doesn't show up. And I think the the Pittsburgh defense is good enough to win this game. So I'm going Steelers minus one, Chiefs minus two and a half in the NFL. How about college? You and I talked about this game already. Texas plus three and a half over Oklahoma. I'd say grab the three and a halfs because I don't think four is going to show up, and it looks like it's moving to three, if anything. And JVT, what happened in that New Mexico State San Jose State game last weekend? Yeah, wasn't an impressive showing by the Spartans. What, what's up with the Spartans? I know it's yep. a, a tough scheduling stretch where you go from Hawaii to Western Michigan, then back home they might have come out flat. But I, when I saw that San Jose State beat New Mexico State uh, thirty-seven to thirty-one, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yep. Uh, so. Is it the Aggies showing a little life on offense, or is San Jose State just flat? Probably a combination of the two. But I think New Mexico State catches another team that could be in a flat spot this week. Nevada off a big win at Boise. And uh, more important things down the line here for the Wolfpack, the cliche is bigger fish to fry. I think they will just uh, put it on cruise control, get a lead here against New Mexico State. And at the very least, you got backdoor potential with the Aggies, but I'm not sure you're going to need it. I I took 33 here with New Mexico State. Uh, the number's still 32 at a lot of spots. Anything north of 31 should be good here. Uh, I think Nevada gets up three touchdowns and, and coast uh, from there. Uh, but New Mexico State impressed me last week, actually, in a uh, 37-31 loss at San Jose. Yep. Now, Nick Starkle didn't play last week. He was injured, so that's maybe part of the reason why. Still put up Starkle... 31 points on that defense. Right. That's, and... that's the part I'm talking about. How do you put up 31 points on San Jose's D? And Starkle actually hasn't really been great either. Six nah, touchdowns, right. five interceptions, and uh, has been less than stellar early on for the uh, 
the title or the uh, the reigning defending. I should say this champion. too, JBT. I'm not sure I've ever won a bet or rarely ever bet New Mexico State, so this could be a first. All my That's years good. being college football, I'm not sure if I've ever won a bet on New Mexico State. I think it's a good spot to go against Nevada after that <laughs> win last week too, right? right. The right. way that they played in the be. injuries. Yep, absolutely. All right, now with that controversy, I want to ruffle too many feathers here, but I have to say, Matt Humans. One of the more nauseating things over the last few days has been this campaign to take away an MVP from my guy, Shohei Otani. I've been, I've been annoyed by this for the past few weeks. I, I think a lot of sports analysts and some guys here at VEASAN have embarrassed themselves with their opinions on this topic. Surely, though, a level-headed pundit like Mike Palm is in on the Shohei Otani MVP Surely. bandwagon. Surely. Surely. Okay. Level-headed, thinks analytically and soundly. He's in, right? I don't think so. What? I think he's out. So disappointing. What happened over the weekend? Uh, here's a tweet from Mike Palm. Surely Ruthian AL MVP frontrunner Shohei Otani will take the mound today in Seattle on six days rest with the importance of this game. The reality is that the most viable MVP candidate on the field will be Mitch Haniger, who drug his dreadful team to the doorstep. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I hope Mike is being sarcastic here, and this is not a serious tweet because... Anybody who doesn't think Shohei is the AL MVP is a buffoon, an outright buffoon. Gil Alexander and I talked about this the other day. I think you and I have talked about this before, too. Shohei's not only the MVP this year. He might be having the best season of any player in the history of baseball. Yes. In the last two months, I don't want to hear the argument about batting average. Well, he's batting 250. The last two months, he's been surrounded by seven minor leaguers and Jared Walsh in the Angels lineup. The fact this guy hit 46 homers... He's got 11 strikeouts per nine is incredible. I, I can't in my lifetime recall a player who's had a better season than Shohei Otani. Well, and here's the thing. As you look at the numbers here, the batting average also just it, it beautifully covers and ignores the rest of the numbers for Shohei Otani. A war of 5.1 as a hitter, 46 home runs, third most in Major League Baseball. Tied for 18th in Major League Baseball and runs batted in with seven minor leaguers around him throughout the entire season. Led the league in triples. 96 walks, fifth most in Major League Baseball. Runs scored 103, tied for 11th most in Major League Baseball. 26 26 stolen bases, eighth most in Major League Baseball. OPS, 965, fifth best in Major League Baseball. Weighted runs created plus, 152, fifth best in Major League Baseball. Oh, and by the way, all of those who want to talk about the batting average, it's funny how we never bring up the fact that he pitched 130 in a third innings of work. (laughs) ERA of 318, better than Garrett Coles, by the way. 156 strikeouts, a win-loss record, if you want to use it, of 9-2. and two. Oh, and oh, and one more thing, at home, an ERA under 2. Yeah, and his, his war is 3.0. <laughs> uh, here's the thing, Shohei's got 156 strikeouts and th- 130 innings pitched. Right. That's, that's remarkable. The guy's 9-2 and two for a losing team. 9-2 and two for a bad team. Uh, I just, it makes me sick when I hear people say, uh, well, this is... Uh, this should be Vladimir Guerrero's MVP. Are you it's, kidding me? It's not. The Blue Jays got like five bombers in that lineup. And Shohei's been basically stranded by himself for the past two months. It's not a batting average award. Right? Like, that's the other thing about it. No, and, in today's, not, no. and in today's. It's not about who hits the most homers either. I don't right. care. You hit 47. This guy hit 46. So the guy who hits 47 is MVP. Right. That's some of the dumbest logic that you're ever going to hear. This guy. Uh, stole 26 bases, hit 46 homers. Hey, he also pitched 130 innings and uh, struck out 156 and won nine games for a losing team. He's 9-2. and two. 
If you don't think he's MVP, you're an idiot. I, I've seen the, uh, oh, he's just a pitcher who hits really well. No, like you just aren't, you're not oh, paying attention. And here's the thing, too, because I've seen the strikeouts, right? He struck out a lot. It's 2021. Watch baseball. The strikeouts aren't as debilitating as they were in the past. It's the three true outcomes. It's going to, I'm going to hit home runs. I've got nobody else around me. Swing for the fences. What this guy has done this year was absolutely incredible. Absolutely. Most valuable player. He is the most valuable guy. He is their ace. Stack these numbers up against uh, and compare them to Babe Ruth or whoever who's had the best seasons in the history of baseball. That's how great Shohei Otani has been this year. I hope Mike was being sarcastic with that tweet because Mike's typically a very sharp analyst, but sometimes guys, uh, they get caught up on the hot take angle. Let's put it that way. I'm going to argue this to the hilt. And uh, I'm going to die on this hill. And, yes, you are going to die on that hill because uh, there's no life if you're arguing against Shohei Otani to be MVP. Can't wait to see the ballots and see what curmudgeon doesn't vote for Shohei Otani. If you don't vote for him, you should have your ballot. Your vote should be taken away. Seriously. (laughs) I can't wait to see it. It's nonsense. We only have 32 seconds to go over Urban Meyer's cheating scandal and the fact that he's lost his locker room. I don't think he's going to lie. Well, he might lose his job soon. I think Urban Meyer's uh, not long for Jacksonville. When something like this happens, uh, first of all, does that make the Jaguars bet against team this week? If if he's lost the locker room, do you bet against him this week? I mean, he wasn't a good coach, so I don't even know. Does it make him better that he's going to be out of the picture? You see reports that players are actually, quote, their own coach now. Like, it's it's an absolute nightmare. Well, I think what's happening right now is – Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, trying to figure out, is there a way to get out of this contract, right? VEASAN.com slash podcast. My guys in the desert coming up next. We'll see you.